Fred Rachani. In this interview, we chat with acclaimed Palestinian Tatris artist Lena Barkawi, who discusses her culture, her art, and activism. Thank you so much for your time. How's everything going? It's good. It's good. Thank you for having me. I know that, um, you know, with everything happening right now, it's it's like the worst time, but uh, but I'm I'm good. Thank you for asking. But you've been making waves on Instagram, not just for your incredible designs, but also your advocacy for Palestinians, as, as well as the great education you've been providing regarding Palestinian culture. In terms of uh, Tatris itself, the Palestinian embroidery, how was that introduced to your life? And when did you decide to say, you know what, I can make a business out of this? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It is. I'm uh, passionate to say the least. So <laughs> you might have to stop me at some point. Um, but yeah, so my name is Lina. I have been doing Tatris or Palestinian specific embroidery for about, I don't know, maybe five years now. Um, and the way it got introduced to me, so originally I'm half Palestinian, half Panamanian, and I grew up very much in that identity um, of being a mixed of mixed cultures and mixed backgrounds. And um, it's actually really ironic because my Panamanian mother was the one who taught me how to embroider. Um, and so my mom's side, who are not at all related to the Middle East, you know, they're born and raised in the country of Panama. And um, but I come from a long line of seamstresses in Panama. And so I actually picked up cross stitch very, very young, maybe around like 12 or 13 years old. Um, and I hadn't really put two and two together until much, much later. So I had been practicing cross stitch and I actually have a, uh, some friends from high school who send me random photos of like small pieces that I had made for them over the years. And it's funny because I, I associate myself now with Tatris and very specific type of embroidery. And I had, I've actually been doing it for, for a minute. Um, and so five years ago, I, I was in between um, graduating a business program and, um, and starting a new job. And my mother, my Panamanian mother, had found this class on Palestinian embroidery by Wafa Akhanem, who's of Tatris and Tea, for those who don't know her. And she had been hosting in-person workshops prior to COVID. And so my mom thought it would be a great mother-daughter experience. And then we get there and I actually know how to do it, which is so funny. And I hadn't really put two and two together that I had been able to do this beautiful art form that, you know, and I just, I just hadn't, I just hadn't considered it. And so I, I left that class you know, and I got home and I just saw all the trees in the house. And I was like, you know what? I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I was like, just, I just decided to pick it up. Um, and so for those who don't know, what's really unique about Palestinian embroidery is that there's this whole library of motifs that holds very significant value in Palestinian culture. This is something that has been practiced by Palestinian women for, for centuries. And they use embroidery as a way to document their surroundings, their experiences. Prior to 1948, it was very much a form of individual expression, artistic expression. And so these women would create these incredibly beautiful items. Um, and the most famous place or placement of Tatris is on the, the national dress, which is the thob. And so um, very, very early in my like Tatris specific journey, I knew I wanted to create a thob of my own. And I, and I just kind of did it. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. And so it was very like haphazard. And I had, it took me two years. It was very painful, lots of tears and, um, you know, blood, sweat and tears, all of the above. And, but it was, it was really beautiful because I ended up, I didn't realize it in the moment, but I was actually creating the dress that I would get married in. And that is also something that is um, tied to Palestinian culture. And so I, I just, I find it so beautiful to be able to connect to my heritage in this way when I'm not there, um, when I don't speak the language fluently, like this is when I feel, you know, this a little bit of an imposter syndrome because I am only half, 
you know, Palestinian. This was such an such a beautiful way to just connect so um so much as myself, as like Lina specifically. And I knew I wanted to share that with the world. And so that was when I decided to launch Lena's Tholb as like more of a business idea. And so my whole goal is to help Palestinians in the diaspora and, and in Palestine, if they are interested in creating their own creations that not only ties them to their culture, but ties them to themselves and helps them express themselves using this tool of Palestinian embroidery. Um, so that's kind of my whole mission, I guess, in this, in this business. Um, but I'll pause there before I like go on and on. <laughs> That's beautifully said and incredible. And yeah, you've been doing this for a while. And then obviously you've really kind of developed the scale the last several years and everything. Uh, But I got to ask you in regards to that, when you started doing the embroidery and especially taking it more seriously, you mentioned the motifs. Were there already kind of some motifs and subliminal messages in there before or are you kind of more deliberate about that now given everything's going on and you preserving your culture yeah no no so I learned very I mean honestly from that first class that I took with my mom in person like Wafat had introduced me to this idea that motifs can be used to tell stories and so after that I started doing my own research and there's like there's quite a few books out there that have documented the motifs where their where their origins lie like in terms of you can literally trace a woman's village by the motif that she used on her on her dress and so I was able to learn a lot about that as well. And I ended up doing my whole master's thesis on, on Tothris as well. So I really delved in deep into it. So when I was designing my own Thobe, that was very intentional was I wanted it to be something that meant something to me using the meanings that had been documented by all of these women over the, over the years. And so on my dress, it's very, it's very much a Lena's, like really when I say Lena's Thobe, like it's, it's like literally my Thobe because all of the, all of the motifs that I chose are super intentional. So I have one that represents my curly hair I have one that references my name. I have one that really also calls out my mom because she's a huge part of my journey. Um, and so I have something that's actually not Palestinian on my dress, which is a, an orchid that represents Panama. Um, and so it's, it was very much the colors were things that I chose intentionally. Um, and I also had this idea of my my grandmother, my Panamanian grandmother also gave me this idea of like thinking about the dress as as like the earth where like the bottom of the dress is the land and as you get closer and closer to like my neck it gets you're getting higher and higher so you're going to the sky you're hearing like feeling water and so all of the placement also was very intentional and that was mimicking the practice of Palestinian women before me um so 100% was intentional and now it's just it's just part of the DNA uh, that's pretty incredible and i know we obviously can't self-care away out of what's what's going on and, and everything but how has it been for you as a coping mechanism not just the last 60 or so days but really just in life i mean there's been a lot going on in this world Absolutely. I mean, with COVID, I think it was one of the one of the things that got me through COVID in general as well. But yeah, over the last two months in particular, I think a lot of us felt very stunned and, you know, just like it's not surprising. And yet it is like now it's surprising. I mean, to be perfectly honest, like the, the absolute atrocities that are happening now have, have, have never been done before in this in this fashion and at this to this extent. Um, and I find myself, you know, I get I get some panic attacks every once in a while. Like I'll, I'll, I'll witness something on Instagram and it just gives me, it literally gives me nightmares. And so there are, there are moments when I have to actually very intentionally return back to the things that ground me and what grounds me is moving my hands and moving my fingers. And what's beautiful, I think about Palestinian embroidery in particular is it's super geometric in nature. It's super repetitive in nature. And so you don't really have to think too much. Whereas the type of cross stitch that I grew up learning was a lot of counting. Like it was meditative in a, in its own right, but it was it required a little bit of of 
thinking because you had to count. It was not geometric. It wasn't repetitive. And so you had to really focus on the pattern itself and translate it into the embroidery. Whereas Palestine embroidery is very, very repetitive. So it's just in nature, this meditative meditative practice. Um, and so I found a lot of solace in returning to my embroidery during this time. And then we, I think there's also something about community as well. And so part of the, the tradition of Palestine embroidery is practicing it amongst others. You like tradition, historically, Historically, you learn it from your mother, from your grandmother, from the women in your village. Um, historically, you even like across other times of absolute tragedy, like 1948, 1967, the intifadas, you found that at, immediately coming after those 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 moments, those ruptures in Palestinian um space, a lot of the women are coming together and they're doing and practicing the embroidery together. And there's something super peaceful about finding people who are, who are like you, who ha who have, who are experiencing the same trauma, experiencing the same pain. And that has also been something that I've returned to over and over and over again over the last two months, um, where if it's, you know, in, in some cases it's been virtual because we're kind of spread out all over the place, but we actually also hosted our first in-person retreat. Um, and this was done in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We had actually been planning this for about nine months, and we didn't know that two weeks into what's happening in Gaza, we would be meeting in person. And we debated back and forth about whether or not we should hold the retreat. And I think what ended up happening is everyone was seeking so much comfort in each other that it was the best thing that could have happened, I guess, during this time. And so being in, in person as well was really, really powerful. And it's not because like we're all Palestinian, it's because we're all Palestinian practicing this this art form. So I think it's it's definitely in many many ways just a huge a huge place for for healing for um, for comfort for just grounding yourself and letting your mind release and just not think so much and not be so absorbed in in the painful things that are happening on the ground. That, that's so well said, and thank you so much for for all that insight. And I, I'm so glad you mentioned community because I was going to ask you about that because I, I saw online that. Not only are you doing amazing things with with your work in in general, but you're also educating people and you are fostering communities, not just with retreats, but with courses as well. And from what I understand, 100% of those proceeds are actually going to assist Palestinians in, in terms of mental health resources. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so Hakini is this beautiful startup in Palestine focused on mental health. They've been around prior to what's happening in Gaza, but after this all happened, they expedited their efforts towards providing psychological first aid to the people of Gaza. And um, I had heard about them through another organization that I'm incredibly fond of, which is called Build Palestine. And um, I was just I was reading kind of their mission and, and this um, this campaign that they were running, and it just it just felt so right to be connected to that in some way, because for me, I find Tathris to be my almost like, I don't know, psychological first aid is a very strong term for me to use for myself, but it's something that I find peace in doing. And I felt that there was something really unique about connecting the experience as someone in the diaspora witnessing all of this happening and the experience of someone on the ground going through this type of trauma day in and day out. And so I, you know, I just, I wanted to do something, you know, very meaningful and and I had been thinking about launching a, a Tothriz 101 course for a while. I had already filmed the content like months ago and I just hadn't actually launched it. And so I thought this is a really great way for me to just get 
it out into the world for people to use. And so that's what I ended up doing is I ended up launching very quickly and all 100% of the proceeds did go to Hakini's crowdfunding campaign. And they were able to actually meet their target because of this donation, which is fantastic. Um, and so they were able to actually like kick off and launch and it's absolutely live, this um, toll-free hotline for people in Gaza to call into for immediate psychological first aid, which is beautiful. I actually just got off the phone with this one of the C one of the co-founders of Hakini today and just hearing the updates was really, really, was really beautiful. Um, and yeah, and I think it's interesting because now that I've launched the course and I'm getting some feedback, initial feedback, people are saying like, this has been so soothing to like do something, like just do anything because we feel so helpless in the diaspora. And it, the the art form of Tafriz is like, it's it actually creates this beautiful thing, this beautiful thing that you create that you can actually look at and remember and think about. And I think that, that um, being able to offer people the ability to create is in of itself a form of healing and a form of just feeling like you've done something and, and done something for your people. And so I'm really happy that it that it was successful. Great work. I want to commend you. And yeah, that's a fantastic cause as well and everything. So definitely if you want to learn Tatris, join Lena's course. It goes towards a good cause and you learn something, you foster some community. Uh, that, is, that is fantastic. Now, I reached out to my community, a lot of people who are, you know, Palestinian, Lebanese, Syrian, you know, from MENA, who have a, a lot of different questions they wanted me to ask you, if that's all right. Normally, we like Absolutely. to keep this kind of lighthearted. Obviously, I know there's a lot of real serious stuff going on, but we'd love to just learn a little bit more about you and the culture, if that's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Uh, first question related to your designs. What's your favorite design you've done up to this point? <laughs> um, yeah, all of them are really beautiful. So, I mean, obviously, my phobe is like my pride and joy. I will not, I will, I want to die in this dress. Okay. I don't <laughs> it was a lot of work and, you know, I'm just so proud of this, of this dress. Um, but I'll tell you the one that surprised me that I liked them, like I liked a lot was um, this pomegranate design that I did. So my friend, I have a friend of mine who's a really good friend who's obsessed with pomegranates. And um, there was like this fad going around of like an image within an image. And so I decided because there is a pomegranate motif in, in Palestine, in Palestine embroidery. So I thought, let me try to figure this out. So it was a lot of like design pain because <laughs> like the, the platform that I'm using is not the best for this type of uh, designing, but I was, I was able to do it. And when I finally finished the design, I wasn't that convinced by it um, to be honest, but I was like, you know what, forget it. I've already like put in all this time. I'm going to create it. I'm going to give it to him and it's done. Like it's over. And I actually had a very hard time parting with some of my work. So I've originally, I was very like, I'll never give away my work. I'll never sell it. Like it's so much work. I'm never going to like, there's never going to be enough, but I find there's actually something really nice about giving something to someone that you care about. And so this one actually turned out to be really beautiful. Um, I, I'm not really, I, I, yeah, I just, I didn't expect it to, to like, to be that nice or as, or that I would like it that much. And then I got a really nice frame for it as well. It just kind of put the, the cherry on top. So that one is the one that surprised me the most that I liked. What's your favorite Palestinian dish? Oh, malfouf. Oh, and any day I will eat malfouf all day, every day. It's the one dish I hate making, but I love it so much. So <laughs> for any of the non-Palestinians and non-Arabs uh, watching, listening to this, what is malfouf? Malfouf is basically stuffed cabbage leaves. <laughs> um, and I eat it like my, my teta makes a really good version of malfouf. And it's just, um, it's stuffed with rice and, and ground and ground lamb or ground beef. Um, and it's it's very uh, tangy and just delicious. It's fantastic. Now we we definitely want to want to help uh, support the community and culture. Besides Linus Thobe, what's your favorite Palestinian owned business in New York, or or it could be in America? But if we if we have one in New York too, we'd love the New York theme. 
Oh, that's a good question. Palisade owned business. That's a tough one. I so I don't I don't necessarily have one in New York. Uh, although there's quite a few good restaurants in New York if people are interested. But um, I really like Zandi. So Zandi, it's Z E I N D E E. She has an Etsy shop. She has really cool designs, um, and she does like stickers and just other types of merchandise. Um, but I love her. I love her art form or artwork. It's really fantastic. I got a um, a calendar done by her from my from my sister in law actually one Christmas, and um, and that's how I got introduced to her to her stuff. So she, her stuff is really cool on Etsy. She's based in Seattle. Um, and then non-US based, I am obsessed with this artist based in Germany. Her name is Palestinian Artist on Instagram. She does some really beautiful paintings. Uh, and I had a couple commissioned by her where she did um she did this, she did two canvases, and it was like half of a woman on each canvas, and they were basically like facing like it was the same person, but they had two um two versions of them, and like one was wearing a Palestinian thole, the other one was wearing a Panamanian traditional poyera dress. And so I have those like um together as well on the wall. So that she's one of my favorite artists. You talked about community, you had that successful retreat in Santa Fe, you're doing these courses and everything. Uh, but of course, a lot of talk is also about the children now. They're affected not just in Gaza, but all you know, all the Palestinian children around the world. Would you be open to doing any kind of uh, in-person uh, workshops on these children, not just to help them learn to skill and preserve their history, but also help them with their trauma? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I am hosting a couple of workshops um, in the next couple of weeks live, um, and I will have a, an intake form actually on my website shortly. So if there are people who are interested in in hosting me as, as someone to lead a workshop, I'm 100% interested. I haven't worked with children, so just to be super transparent, but I'm incredibly open to it. And I think as someone who learned younger, they can, they're more than capable of picking up the practice. And so it'll be really, it'll be really fun to help teach them. For any non-Palestinians watching or listening to this, are, are there any words or vocabulary or any ways that they can be a better, I hate to use the word ally, but anyways, they can be a better ally or, or a better supporter of the Palestinian cause. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I have, I have a day job and um, it's something that I, that I struggle with, not struggle with, but it's something that I'm, I'm very conscious of and intentional at, at work as well. Um, I think it's, I think it's really important as especially with the current climate and the U.S. and um, certain laws that have been going into effect is to educate yourself on this idea that being anti-Zionist is not being anti-Semitic. Um, so that's like an incredibly powerful and strong thing to learn and understand. Um, and then I also think that there are, there are really I, I'm I'm also a big reader. So for me, I learn a lot about people's experiences through fiction. And I think there are quite a few incredible novels that can help you understand as someone who's never been to Palestine, what it means to be an occupied people. This is something that I struggle with constantly because we use the word all the time. It's the Palestinian occupied territory, occupied ter Palestinian territories. It's used in the UN, it's used globally, but nobody understands that being occupied as a people is 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 it's just wild like i mean it's it's absolutely crazy the types of things that people are going through besides what's happened in gaza like this is what's happening in gaza is so clearly wrong but it's been wrong for a very very long time and so i highly encourage all of the non-Palestinians or people who are unfamiliar with, with the Palestinian experience to, to really just dive into it, explore novels. If that works for you, explore movies. There's, there are fantastic movies on Netflix that help showcase the day-to-day -day experience of being Palestinian in, in historic Palestine. Um, and not just in the West Bank or Gaza, but as a Palestinian in 1948, 
um, Palestine. And yeah, I, I think there's, there's, there's a ton there, but the big words that I would encourage people to educate themselves on and not just necessarily just be able to define them, but be able to understand the experience of that word are, you know, anti-Zionist versus anti-Semitic occupation, apartheid, um, ethnic cleansing, uh, settler colonialism. These are big words, but there's 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 a lot that needs to be understood by them. And I think, um, unfortunately, the English language doesn't do a very good job at really connecting the word with the experience. Because I think if people understood the experience, they would be 100% behind the word. Um, so anyways, I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah. I really appreciate that. That's, that's fantastic insight and, and education and everything. And you mentioned too about novels. You also have an Instagram for uh, literature. Where you yeah, recommend? Little... What do you recommend? A lot, a lot of great books. So I know if you recommend a lot of great books, it's hard to, to narrow it down into like one or two. But are there yeah. a couple that anybody should check out right this second? Minor Detail is fantastic. Minor Detail is a newer novel. It's it was just translated a couple of years ago. It's fantastic. I'm also reading. I haven't finished it, but I am also reading The Time of White Horses, and I'm very much enjoying this novel. It's a bit bigger, um, but it's it's really quite quite great. Um, and then if if you feel like if you're up for a challenge, Gate of the Sun is fantastic, but it is it is tough. <laughs> I mean, it took me a couple of months and it, like a couple of months of like really focused reading, but it's, it's absolutely crazy how much it covers. Like the, the breadth of this book is fantastic. Um, so yeah, those would be the, those would be the ones that are off the top of my head. There's so many though. There's so many incredible authors. Why should people check out Lena Stoop? Because you, when you figure out how to learn Tafriz, you will fall in love with it. It will give you so much peace. It'll connect you to your heritage if you're Palestinian. And it's just beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. I highly recommend everyone and their mother to explore this art form because it is, it has given me so much life over the last few years. And, um, and this is just the beginning. So. Well, Lena, we really do appreciate your time. You, you do fantastic work. You preach an amazing message. Uh, I love your combination of just beautiful designs, artwork, education, advocacy, you know, all wrapped into one. So much respect to you for all that you're doing and continue to do. In terms of in the future, anywhere mm -hmm. we can find, I know you mentioned your courses, but just uh, to get it all out there, the floor is yours. Is there anywhere we can find you online and where can we find you next? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm at Lena Stobe on Instagram. Uh, my website is www.lenastobe.com. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for right now, you'll see that I've launched the first Tal 101 course, but I am really excited for what's to come in 2024. So if you're interested in creating a Thob, that is my goal is to help all Palestinian women in the diaspora learn how to create a thobe if they want to. Um, so from zero to thobe, I'm here for you. So that'll be coming up very, very soon in 2024.